You're listening to episode 144 of the Mad Chatters podcast, June 28th, 2017. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> there and welcome back to another episode of the mad chatters podcast your very important date with the happenings at walt disney world and around the disney universe i'm derek and i'm joined today by my fellow chatters matthew howdy and jeremy picture it walt disney world (laughs) 1971 (laughs) yes all right let's start this episode by talking about some rumors, because let me tell you, over the last week, the rumor mill has been a buzz, and it seems like all the rumors are surrounding Epcot. Well, you can always tell when the Disney Twitterverse, like they're over Pandora now, so they're back to churning the waters up again. It's that's right. It's uh, the afterglow is gone, so now we must move on. That's mm. right. Uh, the two biggest rumors I've heard deal with Ellen's Energy Adventure and the France Pavilion. First of all, a couple of weeks ago, Disney filed paperwork with the South Florida Water Management District. You know, all of these things are public files and bloggers who care more about this stuff than we do are always intently looking at the files that are, or the permits that are filed. This last one indicates plans to reroute a drainage canal behind Universe of Energy and it's going to create quote, on-site improvements that will add impervious areas, likely an additional show building to be used for some sort of future attraction coming to the Universe of Energy Pavilion. Yeah, this is interesting. I don't think that means anything, or maybe it means everything. Who knows? I'm not a construction kind of person. Although I did play the construction worker in a uh, Village People uh, tribute band. But other than that, um, so I don't know what this means because people seem to think that this is indication that Ellen's Energy Adventure is now getting the overhaul to become Mission or uh, not Mission Space. God help us. Uh, Gall- <laughs> a second one. A second mission space over there, just because there's not enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's the curse of the Dumbo. We need we need two now. Um, no, yeah. but uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is coming, is, is the big rumor. Now, we all love Ellen's Energy Adventure here, uh, and this, this kind of hurts my heart to see it go away. But I think we need to face the inevitable, that even if it's not Guardians, something's going to be happening. Ellen's Energy Adventure days are numbered. Um, that that's not a it's not it's not a Pirates of the Caribbean it's not a small world it's not an attraction that's going to endure for generations uh, I think we're lucky we've had it for 20 years that we've that we have so yeah that's a good point uh, and and for the record these rumors aren't just like one blogger saying oh you know what I think they're gonna do like you know these are usually based on some inside discussions with cast members who have maybe been told little things that are headed down the pipeline. We don't really know for sure, but that seems to be the indication right now that something Guardians is coming. Perhaps Tron, uh, but Guardians seems to be the overwhelming thought right now. Uh, The other permit, like I said, has to do with the France Pavilion. Uh, Disney has filed permits for 
a lot of space back there behind France, sort of between France and Morocco. This was something that, this was an expansion pad that was built into the park at the beginning with the thought that, oh, eventually we'll add more pavilions, more countries, and we have room now because we've built this into it. Uh, Well, Disney has now um, filed permits to build in that area, and the show building will will be built there, and the queue apparently will travel behind where the pavilion is now and connect to the front of the pavilion and rumor has it that this will be the Ratatouille trackless ride that you can find in Walt what's that park called Walt Disney Studios is that right in Paris Studios yeah so there you go more characters might be coming to World Showcase this one I'm totally fine with. I, I I know there's a fan base for Impressions to France somewhere, and they seem to be popping up particularly recently. But, um, you know, Impression to France, no one needs to fall on their sword for that. It, it's time to move no. on. Well, I will say uh, indications are showing that that attraction will stay, and this will be behind it. Oh, um, really? Yeah. France will have two attractions. I like the look of the Ratatouille ride when I've watched videos of it. I don't know. I'm not really on the. I'm not really on the anti-characters in World Showcase um, bandwagon. So I'll be happy to have something else to do there. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm fine with it. I think people are kind of comparing it to Frozen and saying like, why is no one going crazy over it like they did Frozen? But I think the problem was Frozen was being shoehorned into an old space and it's based on a fictional land like that's not really norway you never hear the word norway in that movie right ratatouille is in paris yeah exactly you know the more i think about it that's borderline racist that we just assume that those people are from norway what if it's iceland (laughs) what if it's So anyway, those are definitely the two biggest rumors right now. And there are a lot of other smaller ones that have popped up. Again, they all seem to have to do with Epcot. And I think the idea is that this is the park that we'll be focused on next. You know, we've got Pandora. The other parks are getting their own things, Hollywood Studios especially. So now it's time to focus on Epcot. The 40th anniversary is coming up in five years. So it seems to be that it would make a lot of sense for Epcot to get a sort of five-year refurbishment, much like Disney California Adventure did back in 2012. So there, there's talk that it'll have a new entrance, that all those leave-a-legacy tombstone-looking things will be gone, and there'll be a whole new entrance. There's talk of other characters being added throughout the parks, maybe a Mulan over in China. So who knows? But maybe we'll find out more at D23 Expo? I don't know. That seems to be now the hallmark, watermark, whatever place for rumors and Landmark, news. Walmart, Hallmark, Kmart, Costco, <laughs> Marky Mark. <laughs> yeah, that's where it all happens is there. For our first segment, we're going to stroll over to Main Street, USA, where once again we are going to showcase one of the legendary people whose names can be found printed on the second story windows. They got their name on a window on Main Street, USA. 
As you may or may not know, on the second level of Main Street USA is a series of windows, and on those windows are printed the names of men and women who made great contributions to the Walt Disney Company. On one of those windows, you'll find the words Center Street Academy of Fine Art, Painting, and Sculpture. Underneath, you'll see a few names that might sound familiar, like Herbert Ryman, Blaine Gibson, Mary Blair is listed there as well. But listed alongside these people is a name you might not recognize, and we're going to highlight her today, and that is Dorothy Redmond. Dorothy was a painter and illustrator. Uh, She received a degree in interior design. And she actually began her career not at Disney, uh, but she designed sets for Gone with the Wind. Insert that theme right here. (laughs) You just hum it for us. Go, Matt. The whole thing. Yes, keep going. All right, that's enough. Very good, very good. Okay, now hum the the ones for these next few. She also designed sets for seven Hitchcock films, including Rear Window. It seems like it fit a Hitchcock movie. That's kind of. That's something else. Yes, thank you. (laughs) But after she got done designing sets, she joined Walt Disney Imagineering in 1964, where she continued to design and illustrate and paint. She designed Plaza Inn in Disneyland, which was one of Walt's favorite spots. It's still there today. They're known for their fried chicken, I do believe. Um, She also designed many interior and exterior designs of New Orleans Square, which Jeremy and I have had the pleasure of visiting I'll say one of my favorite lands in Disneyland as far as architecture and design goes, easily. Yes, it is beautiful and uh, very New Orleans-esque. Now, was she from New Orleans? I don't think so, no. I need to see on the Wikipedia what it says about that. Um, Because she really kind of... Nope, she's from Los Angeles. Uh, She really kind of captured that whole... I don't, uh, without using the word, I don't know if this is the right word, rustic feel. You know how New Orleans has that rustic kind of, um, with the, yeah. wa- like the ornate rustic kind of feel. Does that make sense? Uh, rustic to me sounds like barn house. No, it's not that then. But no. It's like gaudy, but not at the same time. It's ornate. There we go, ornate. Anyways, she did a really good job capturing all of that. <laughs> and I like the, um, you know, they have the second floor balconies and it's not really forced perspective. It actually is, you know, real, real size, which is very much you see in New Orleans down the French Quarter where people stand up there and throw the beats and all that. And so, like, when we went to um, Club 33, we were able to stand out there and it really felt very authentic looking down on the people as they walk through the streets of New Orleans. Yeah. Now, one part of New Orleans Square that you got to see that I did not get to see is also something that Dorothy Redmond designed, she developed the interior paintings of the Royal Suite, which is now called the Disneyland Dream Suite. Definitely, yeah. So these um, designs actually kind of got lost to history. The The Dream Suite did not get built exactly how it was in its present form. Uh, initially, it became sort of like 
uh, offices and then they stored stuff up there, became a gallery at one point. Um, so it wasn't until just a few years back, less than 10 years ago, that they found her original designs and plans and, and pictures and paintings and those kind of things of what she wanted the Dream Suite to look like. And that's what they based it off of now when they restored it. Um, and you're able to tour that if you do the uh, walking in Walt's footsteps uh, tour at Disneyland. So it is very cool to see. Um, if you've listened to this show from the beginning, you know I had a uh, not so pleasant time on the tour, but it was because my expectations okay. were in a different direction. But looking back on it now, a couple years later, it is kind of cool to get to see that aspect of Disneyland and to see that part that oh, your average day guest doesn't get to see. Yeah. Well, as much as Dorothy Miss Redmond contributed to Disneyland, she actually did quite a bit more. Well, maybe not more, but she did quite a bit for Walt Disney World as well when they started uh, looking over at Florida and trying to get plans together for this new park there. She helped develop the looks not only of Fantasyland and Main Street USA, she she did a lot of designs there, but she had set most of Adventureland, I think, especially that initial area like before you get back to Pirates, because as we talked about, that was not part of opening day. Um, but that little plaza where the tiki room is and there's that little bazaar on your right, she she designed most of those buildings. There are some really cool paintings from the 70s of those hut-looking buildings, you know, with the straw roofs or the grass roofs. Not sure what that is. Um, but in, like, the tiki room tower that's stacked up like that, you see lots of cool Dorothy Redmond paintings of those. Are the ones that she designed actually still there? Or are they, like, covered up by the Agrabah thing uh, that I don't know I mean when you look at these paintings you very much immediately think the Adventureland we know today but as far as like down to the detail I don't know because that whole area was the Sunshine Pavilion at, at one point right before the before the carpets were there and that was the bazaar or whatever I wonder if it was on the right hand side some of those were her original designs before they were obliterated uh, the coolest thing I think I found when researching Dorothy Redmond's life uh, was something called the Gulf Hospitality House, which is still there today, but you know it as the Town Square Theater across from City Hall on Main Street. Um, I'm just going to read this quote from, a, from an article I saw. The Gulf Hospitality House, sponsored by Gulf Oil Corporation from 1971 to 1979, was housed in a building originally marked both in printed descriptions and on maps as the Main Street Hotel. And what I read is that um, in this early concept art, it shows that the original idea was for an actual hotel to operate from this location. And, you know, right behind that building is cast parking now. Yeah. And I think the plan was to not make that cast parking, but to actually have a working hotel in this spot. And part of the reason was it would block contemporary resort from being seen from any parts of Main Street USA. Because yeah. that would this, that sight line would mess up the whole thing. So the idea was to have this hotel right there. Dorothy Redmond did all the concept for it. Um, and, and it says, this, this article says, it's one, this notion explains the look and feel of the lobby that existed for many years inside the hospitality house. The massive wood paneled counter on the room's south end, which could have easily served as a hotel's front desk, ended up functioning as a sort of second city hall, where guests could make reservations for on-property accommodations, get information about recreational activities, and also obtain golf driving route 
brochures. Obviously, the days before GPS. But anyway, it, it opened um, as the hospitality house. When Gulf pulled out their sponsorship, they... Uh, oh, no, this is before then. In 1972, 1972, they added the Walt Disney Story, which was the sort of walkthrough attraction. It wrapped around the side and back of the building. And that's when the Main Street Hotel concept was kind of permanently... Axed. Yeah, axed. And one thing that I found interesting was about that time when they decided to cut the Main Street Hotel, that's when they started to conceive of the Grand Floridian Resort, which carries on that Victorian hotel idea. And that was announced in 1983. So it is kind of cool that, I mean, that makes sense to me that once they decided not to do this on Main Street, they could do a sort of a grander version just down the way there. So this concept didn't come to fruition in the Magic Kingdom, but it sounds very similar to what they did with the uh, resort that's next to Grand California, or not Grand California, Disney California Ventures, where that resort kind of backs up into the park. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Um, this this hotel almost... Oh, I, interesting. I did think about that. For some reason, as I was reading about this, the only way to get in was to go through the main gates of Magic Kingdom, but you might be right. It might be just a normal hotel that has access to Main Street. Um, in Paris, the Disneyland Hotel is like the entrance to the park. Like where our train stations would be is their, is their main hotel. And it's Victorian-ish themed. Mm-hmm. Hmm. They like that idea. Um, it's worth noting as well that Miss Redmond um, before she was hired for the Walt Disney Imagineering Company, she was involved in the designs for the interiors of the Los Angeles International Airport, LAX, uh, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, and she helped design the Space Needle in Seattle. So those are some pretty big accomplishments on her resume. But the highlight of her career, <laughs> and she did die in 2009. May she rest in peace. Um she created the beautiful mosaic pictures that we know as you pass through Cinderella Castle right there by the entrance to uh, the restaurant there. You, you can't miss them. They're what, like 20 feet tall. Maybe not quite that big, but they're pretty tall. Mm-hmm. And they're ornately designed using mosaic style. And from what I've read before, they the gold pieces, or at least some of the gold pieces, are authentically 24 karat gold. Wow. Hmm. I'm surprised they're still there. <laughs> Somebody's just standing there with a chisel. Yeah, they are. They are quite. They're they're beautiful. It's just one of those things that it's in. It's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like by the time you get in, when you're first time and you're really you go in the castle and you're expecting a castle and it's like a hallway and there's some mosaic tile things on the left. To me, it was just like always like oh those are pretty, but. The castle in here kind of sucks. Huh. Well, I mean, it's just a gateway in a, in a, in a, yeah, a it's, sense. It's, it's not that's it. it's gateway. Let's say that. Yeah, um, but I was I'm, I'm always amazed at mosaics because that is a lot of attention to detail, and I don't have the patience to like chip out tiny rocks to fit the right crevices <laughs> to go in the right spaces. So I applaud anybody who has that much time and effort and 
you got to have like a long-term vision because you just start laying down red rocks and then adding blue rocks and then adding, you know, you got to know what the long-term game is going to be. And I'm just not that kind of person. Yeah. I wonder if there's an easier way of doing it that we don't know of where, you know, you lay it out and you paint it and then you break it into pieces. I don't know. I'm just saying maybe it's not as complicated as we think. Why why you got a poo-poo on her accomplishment? <laughs> no, well, first of all, Dorothy <laughs> Dorothy Redman did not actually create the mosaics. She they were created based on her paintings. Um I actually really like oh. those. I can kind of see what you're saying. So she now. didn't do anything with them. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. <laughs> well, never mind. <laughs> well, yeah, she was an illustrator, a painter. She designed them. I'm just thinking, what were you saying? You see what I'm saying? What? I was just going to say, I see what you're saying, but I've never felt that way about being let down by them. I've always found them really beautiful when I walked in. Oh, not them. No, that's what I'm saying. It's, they're just in a let down environment sure. because when you get in there, you're like, oh, this is it. Oh, there's some mosaics. Like if they were like on the wall at some resort, be like, oh, those are beautiful. But in that space, I was kind of like, huh, well, that's that's what's in the castle, huh? Four, four big things. Okay. And a gift store used to be. They would actually make a great little entrance way down to 1900 Park Fair at the Grand Floridian. Yes, they would. There's that long hallway. Or like Ockershoes, because that's like a castle environment that probably fit better in there. I like it, yeah. Anyway, when you see those next time, pay your respects to Miss Dorothy Redman, who died at age 98, which is, you know. Oh. She lived a long life. Old. Uh, I'm, I'm having one for her and pouring one out in her honor. There you go. It's time for another round of Disney Hashtag. Today's hashtag is a salute to all hashtags, but mostly America. And that is, it is Americanized Disney. Hashtag Americanized Disney. Because coming up soon is the 4th of July, which if you're an international listener is a big deal in the United States. It is the day that we celebrate our independence. And um, some days we wonder if that was a good idea or not. Just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Um. What was it again? Make America Great Britain again? That's the, yeah. that's what I'm about. Um, anyways, uh, here on the Mad Chatters, uh, at least two out of the three of us really love America. Sometimes <laughs> we wonder about Derek. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Derek's the one I'm worried about. <laughs> but today we wanted to Americanize Disney things. So this is going to be a hot mess, but I'm really excited about it. So let the hashtag begin. Hashtag Americanized Disney. Oh, these are so bad, you guys. They're so bad. I'll start with maybe my worst. Okay. Um, Well, do these... Mine are not just, like, short phrases, so I don't think they'd fit on Twitter, but here's my first idea. So, Star Tours is actually going to focus on the 50 stars of the United States flag, and you're going to have randomized journeys that choose three states to focus on, and they'll take you on adventures to those three states. I, I don't think you understand what a hashtag is, but um, <laughs> this well, is like armchair see, imagineering. I, it's kind of blossomed, right? So the hashtag is just the overarching category, as in you were to click on this hashtag, and this would be what that category is about. 
Right. You guys need to watch At Midnight. That's where this concept came from. But I go know, ahead. No, I understand, but I couldn't <laughs> think of any ideas that were just short little... You give me an example. All right. Armchair imaginary. Here we go. Hashtag <laughs> Americanized Disney. Ready? A Bug's Life, Liberty, and Pursuit of Happiness. Uh-uh. Okay, I got one better. This one's better. Ready? <laughs> okay. John Wilkes Food and Wine Booth. Yeah. <laughs> Our segments are a mess, folks. We're sorry, but my next one's kind of good too. On that, on that note, um, and this is the only one I have that's in that vein, and it's the Carousel of Progressives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just you start in the center and you move slowly to the left. <laughs> yes. Okay, I've got one. Um, how about an attraction where bald eagles? discuss their opinions on various political topics, and it's called the Enchanted Cabinet Room. Okay, alright, that's better. <laughs> You're getting better. Hashtag, uh, Americanized Disney, Jungle Ted Cruz. <laughs> that sounds like it should be like his wrestling name. That sounds like the worst attraction I've ever heard of. <laughs> and now entering Jungle Ted Cruz. <laughs> alright, I got, hold on, I got a better one. Ready? Yeah. The one if by land, two if by seas with Nemo and friends. Yes. That's the <laughs> longest name of an attraction I've ever heard. Oh. Okay. Instead of the Mad Tea Party, you have the Boston Tea Party. <laughs> there you go. Okay. And in the middle of the attraction, it's actually like a ship and little audio animatronics throw tea at you. Like they pour tea overboard on you. And you got to spin and dodge them. Yes. Exactly. Rough. It's a small world after all. Now politically correct. You got to explain that one. <laughs> so it's just a. It, it's one of those never ending thing. Like, what do you do with it? You either whitewash them all, or nobody's wearing their garb. You have to take down all the landmarks, all the music. They're all talking one language. It's, it's just. It's a small world after all, and we're not. And it's not offending anybody. Sometimes I gotta carry these sh- this show by myself. I tell it you, it is what. kind of <clears throat> offensive. It's an offensive ride if if you're if you're sensitive to those things. Well, I have made that attraction very Americanized, and now it's just called the world's small, y'all. <laughs> and it's it just focuses on America. Right, right, right. <clears throat> Captain E. Obamacare. Mm-mm. <laughs> In three D. <laughs> okay. Uh, illuminations, but mostly America. Which you kind of stole that joke in your introduction, but... Sorry about that. Sorry. Yeah. That's okay. I have an add-on experience that you can um, pay for. You pay to let Russians hack your Disney app to switch your FastPass selections to attractions you didn't want to select, ever. Like, ever. Navi have a dream river journey. No, that is terrible. If it, <laughs> if, it were, if it were pronounced Navai. Navai. Navi have a dream. When I wrote it down, I thought it was Navai. I got one more. The Chronicles of Narnia. The Lion, the Witch, and the War Drones. The War Drones. Uh, I quit. <laughs> 
my last one is the Feel the Burn Grill. And it's a Bernie Sanders-themed restaurant where you're randomly charged more to cover other people's meals. Wow. This segment, this is not... This is not... <laughs> Happy birthday, America. We love you. Speaking of a hot mess, on this week's show, we've got another top five list for you, but this top five is a little bit different. Usually we list our actual five favorite things at Walt Disney World in various categories, but this week we're actually going to talk about attractions that were hot messes or that are still hot messes. And this week we're going to present our top five worst Disney attractions ever. Oh man. I know. We hate, we hate to be negative, but let's just face it. Sometimes Disney doesn't quite Hit the mark, and we're going to talk about those times today. So who wants to get started with your number five? I will, I will, because y'all are going to disagree, and I love it when there's disagreement. My first one is... Can you guess it? It's a dark ride. Uh... It is The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Ooh. I just... I have not liked this attraction from day one. And this is coming from a childhood, lifelong Winnie the Pooh fan. It it loses all... Are we telling why we don't like it or we're just like spitting it out there? No, good to explain. Um, it, it lacks any of the dark ride charm that, that usually comes with dark rides, except for um, a few scenes. Well, let's say half the ride is not technically dark ride it's not lit with the uv lighting the black lighting which i guess is not necessary for a dark ride but disney dark rides i mean come on snow white scary adventure and uh, mr toe and alice in wonderland and peter pan's fly all those ones we know and love um this lacks all of that and I, I i used to hate the 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 entrance but now it's a little better uh and this the story is just you know it's just random scenes from the movie and that's fine I really don't know what to pinpoint about it. It's just the lighting is bad. I feel like the the characters are kind of static because the lighting is bad. And all the movement, I just like, okay, yeah, Tigger bounces. I don't really have to bounce. I think that the uh, some of the paint has just been left to just rot for a couple years. You can really notice it when you come out of the um, uh, Heffalups and Woozles scene. The little rain cloud thing you go into that's the door to the next room it's just like just blatant chipped paint scratched walls scuffs and just it's just in disrepair and and it's just a clunky ride i think not charming at all wow i had no idea you felt that way i think we talked about it before and y'all said that if i think ours is bad that california's is worse yeah i still stand by that so I must really hate that one. But this was pretty bad. Were you a big Mr. Toad fan? Um, when, like, in retrospect, which, who isn't in retrospect, but I, after the fact, I do indeed miss that ride and the music and the charm. Well, all right. 
Uh, my number five is something we have poo-pooed on a lot on this show, but I think it deserves to make my list. Mission Space. Yes. <laughs> this should be, like, at a at a space camp somewhere. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it doesn't belong in Disney World. It doesn't belong in Epcot. The, the visuals on this, the animation, is so outdated like i don't even i bet it was outdated a year after this thing opened and it doesn't quite align with the sensation that you're feeling like the the movement of the attraction i just uh the first time we rode it i was like oh that was i mean sort of thrilling but it didn't really do anything for me and every subsequent ride has just been the worst and now i haven't ridden it in probably five years really Seven years. That's a long time. In defense, in defense of Mission Space, which I can't believe I'm doing this, but um, I think the concept when they came up with it was a good idea for Epcot because Epcot is about science, nature, exploration. I mean, all those kind of, you know, educational concepts in an entertainment form. And so the idea of going to Mars definitely appealed to that concept. Uh, In execution, it definitely did not end up well. I mean, maybe as well as they could for 1998. Is that when it opened? 98? Uh, I want to say at least mid, mid to late Mission Space? 90s. Mm-hmm. Mission Space was 2001. Okay, so early 2000s. All right, you know, so maybe, you're still... No, 2003. It was, it was fairly recently. More recent than you would think. I mean, we were still we were still playing Snake on Nokia phones in 2003. So I mean, you know, Gary Sinise taking us to Mars was was pretty extravagant then. Um, <laughs> that being said, it definitely has not kept up with the times. And had they evolved the attraction to sort of keep up with technology, I think Mission Space has potential to be a really cool experience. I mean, a really cool simulator experience. The problem is, all you do is rock back and forth a little bit and you spin yeah it's just too video game like and i remember listen i remember writing it pretty early and uh maybe if they didn't put a joystick in front of your face and if it didn't look like a arcade scenario then it would be different but um i remember writing it fairly recently it might have been in 2003 and even then i was like oh it's gonna be animation like it's animated like that looks like a video game and then you know you couldn't figure out the theme like, is this supposed to be like we're actually going to space or are we training for space or uh, it's all that is just true. combobulated. And you don't yeah. even know Gary Sinise's character's name. He just never he never identifies himself. He's just Capcom or whatever it is. And this was a year after Soren opened, I believe, in Disney California Adventure, which that screen is like a giant IMAX screen. Could the Mission Space screen be any smaller? Seriously, it's like a little TV from 1960. Just, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't hatched out very well. And then, uh, you know, I think arguably the worst part is the mile-long hike you have to take at the end of the attraction to get out. That yes. is completely unthemed. It is just an empty hallway with horrible fluorescent lighting. And it's it's forever with that screaming banshee. Destiny! And so, yeah, this this whole concept was just not executed in the way I think... Imagineering wanted it to be executed. At least I hope. Uh, the exterior is beautiful, 
beautiful exterior. In fact, so nice they are still showcasing it with Kelly Clarkson singing in front of it at the <laughs> Christmas concert. Um, yeah. But yeah, this this attraction it either needs to be completely gutted and overhauled, and you could really do something cool with Mars, especially when when the idea of going to Mars is is very tangible in today's world. I mean, they're they're really talking about within the next few years possibly putting a man on Mars. So the interest is there. It's a relevant attraction if it's done right. I don't know that you can do the style of the attraction right. See, that's what Disney does sometimes is they latch on to one thing and they say, we're really going to push this one thing about this attraction. This attraction is the G-forces. You will feel like you're taking off. But beyond that, they didn't think a whole lot about much else. Right. So they had they had to maximize the spinning slash G-force thing as many times as they could in the attraction when the rest of the attraction is just kind of like, eh, you know, that's the only part of it that's like, ooh. And even that is like, okay, so some G-forces, and I, I feel a little nauseated. But uh, beyond that, there's not a lot of thought put into the story. I wonder if they could overhaul the building to be like a Simpsons sort of concept where th- that ride style, I mean, where, yeah, you know, yeah. like a universal, <laughs> not <laughs> Bart and Homer. Yeah. Oh, we're on Mars uh, or something like that. But, um, you know, where you walk in and, and the you get the sensation of movement, but the screen is above you. I think that would work well in that sort of concept of Mars and traveling through Mars and in Martians and just maybe maybe John Carter is there. Maybe who? Oh. John Carter. Ah, uh, yes, yes. The doctor from ER. Yeah, of course. That's who I went. That's who I thought at first. Yeah. Well, I could be wrong. I could have some of the details wrong, but it seems to me that when Epcot opened, a space pavilion was part of the plans. Like you've got land, seas, and you got space. That never happened. You got horizons eventually. And then I think it was Michael Eisner who kind of fought for the whole space attraction. Not a pavilion, necessarily, but an attraction to take the horizon space. And I seem to remember there being, like, cost-cutting involved. Like, it was just way over budget, all sorts of things. But anyway, I just think it ended up kind of a mess. And I've grown to sort of hate it. So that's why it's number five. Uh, My number five, I cheated a little bit. Um, and I'm going to Disneyland for this attraction. And this was probably the biggest letdown of any attraction that I faced in that park. It was not open our very first trip, but it was our second trip. Uh-huh. The Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage. Oh. So the exterior is amazing because you have this beautiful lagoon the uh, submarines, when they surface, are very – I mean, there's something there's something about that inner child that comes out. Like, anytime I see a helicopter landing, you know, and you get that, like, ooh, you know, like your, your five-year-old kid <laughs> comes out in you. So when I saw these, like, massive submarines kind of surfacing, you're kind of like, oh, we get to go in there? You know, it's so cool. But then that's where the magic ends because you get in there and you get your seat and it's very claustrophobic to begin with. So if you have problems with small spaces, the submarine voyage is not for you. And it's very dark. Like I'm surprised how dark it is in there. But you get your seat, you have your window and you go. 
It is the most lackluster, boring attraction I think I've ever been on. First off, there's no real fish. I, I kind of thought it was going to be like uh, the scenes with Nemo and friends, uh, the ending, where you have some real fish and then you have the projected uh, Nemo stuff in mixed in. And that would be great. No, no real fish at all. It's all, you know, not even animatronics. They're all just uh, static props under the water. Then for like half of it, all you're doing is looking at rocks and the random fake plants. That's not even part of, uh, you know, the, the, it's not even cool stuff to see is what I'm trying to say. And it's just, it was a boring attraction. It was too long. There wasn't really a storyline to follow. They tried to do the story of Nemo, but it was so disconnected that mm. you're like, wait, what? And here's the sharks. And okay, the sharks <laughs> are gone now. And <laughs> just a very disappointing experience i'm sure that there's some hardcore submarine fans out there maybe the original attraction before they stuck nemo in was better i don't know but for right now it is not that great well yeah because that attraction has been there since the like 59 i want to say when the matterhorn was built That's it. yeah so and, and, it, and it's such a huge space that i can kind of see why they're they can't bring themselves to remove it. Like you said, it's beautiful. That water is so blue, so pretty coming off the Matterhorn. But that I, sure didn't stop them from removing 20,000 leagues. <laughs> that is true. Which is the same ride system, right? Yeah, it was just 20,000 leagues. Yeah. It was not generic submarine. Oh, man. It was the slowest boarding vehicle I've ever <laughs> ridden. It was like, oh, surely we'll get on the next one. Nope. <laughs> You just stand well, there. Which amazes me because they fit about a hundred people onto this submarine. Like it's it's a pretty it's a pretty big ride vehicle. But the thing is when you board, everybody has to go down the same little stairs, and then you gotta go all the way down. Cause picture like a submarine tube and there's a like a seat in the middle. But you to get to the other side, you gotta go all the way down and then circle around to get to the other side. So it takes forever to board and un and, and unload, and it's terrible, just terrible. Mm. My number four, also from the Magic Kingdom, is the Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor. Dang, Matt, you're cutting me deep here. I'm sorry, I detest this attraction. I think I think I hate everything about it. From the entrance to the Las Vegas-style poster board in uh, marquee out front to the odd placement in Tomorrowland to the texting your clean jokes because they're not going to use the good ones um, <laughs> to the shameless plug of Monsters University that is the entire pre-show um, to the screens to the ill-explained uh, comedy club theme. I mean, I think that it, you know, they, they've got the kind of old school supper club thing going on with the tables and the lamps in front of you that's not even addressed like why is this here why are we doing this um and you know i, mean, I never kinda... got that i never got that till you just said that that yeah it's like a little las vegas stuff. like supper club kind of thing like supper clubs all i can think of that's like a southern gospel thing <laughs> <laughs> no but i was saying like the old school like uh who framed roger rabbit kind of uh yeah show where you sit down and you have your little lamp your little drink that's what they need they need drinks yeah that would well that would definitely improve the experience <laughs> um i don't know why they can't do what they do with the screens with some really advanced animatronics i know there's that's money but i mean 
if the animatronic just simply moved at the whim of whoever was operating the voice or they did random movements, I don't know. It, it seems like that'd be possible, especially with the, the progress they've made with the, the characters' faces and stuff. Um, well, they could know. even do like a Mike Wazowski animatronic because he's yeah. the same standard line. I mean, it's a, it's a screen up there, it's a screen over there, the whole thing's a screen. And uh, I guess the first time the whole that guy thing was kind of funny. And maybe just the repeat, repeat, repeatability is what is lacking in it. Um, but yeah, now I just sit through it. I'm like, ah, oh, okay, that guy, all right. And there's that kid because he's got funny faces or something. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't like that. I don't like it. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there, and that is it lacks repeatability. There's no there's no incentive to come back and see it multiple times. You've seen it two or three times. You can mimic the show, say the yeah. lines with them. I don't know. I still like it. There's that one little section where they do some improv when they take questions from the audience, or they, they go to the audience. Um I mean that's fine that you don't like it. I can't I can't blame you for that. I just top five worst ever. Just like I don't know about that. The only time that I've enjoyed this show is when I've seen it with first timers. I, I can I'll give you that. Yeah. It's definitely more fun that way. Yeah, they enjoy it, you know, and I get joy from them enjoying it. But if it was just us three going to see it because we've all seen it a hundred times, then I don't think we're gonna get much pleasure out of it unless we are sitting there making fun of the show which i'm all for especially if they start serving drinks which i think they should we can be hecklers (laughs) (laughs) speaking of tomorrowland and speaking of that i've always said it would be fun to go over to tomorrowland speedway because they have those bleachers as if people are actually gonna sit in them and i've always thought it'd be so fun to sit in those and just like boo all the kid drivers (laughs) you suck get (laughs) off the road (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how long they'd let us do that, but it would be fun. Um, for my number four, it's not a surprise, but we're going to go just across the little Tomorrowland Street to Stitch's Great Escape. Honestly, the, it's a bad attraction. It's really bad. To be honest, I kind of had a little trouble putting it on my list just because the animatronics are very impressive. Even... I don't know what they are, but, like, the robot claws that are, like, scanning him or something. Like, they move so quickly around that room. Um, what are those? They're just, like, big machine arms. It's the Kuka arm stuff. They just used it for that. So it's like, yeah, Universal gets the Harry Potter ride. We get that. Yeah, that's true. But the way they just spin around so fast, like, that really is impressive to me. But it's when the lights go off that everything just goes to pot. Like, that attraction sucks. And that's where it's actually supposed to be good. Like, I think in the Imagineers' minds, they're like, oh, this is where they're really going to enjoy it because they can't see what's happening, but they can feel it and they can smell the chili dog burp. But I just sit there and I'm like, every single time I ride it, I think my seat's broken because, like, nothing's happening. I feel maybe a little pressure on my shoulder. I always smell the burp. Like, somehow that's the one thing that works flawlessly. I don't know what they were thinking when they took out Alien to put in this, but it is the biggest waste of space. Uh, I hate this thing. It, it falls victim to this idea that the Imagineers sometimes get in their head, and that is they're trying to cram something into a space where it doesn't necessarily belong. And they they have one little outlet, like Matt mentioned earlier with 
they, they focus on that one aspect of the attraction, you know, like with mission space, ooh, you're going to feel the, the G-forces. And so we're going to cram everything else around that G-force. Well, they're in Tomorrowland. Uh, people like Stitch. Stitch is an alien. We're going to cram Stitch into the alien attraction. And unfortunately, it just does not work. It doesn't work on a level that, again, it lacks repeatability. I dread going in there. It lacks fun. Every time I'm in there, I've, I've never come out of that attraction going, ooh, that was great, you know? Yeah. Usually I've come out going, oh, my head hurts, or what was, you know, uh, gonna throw up or whatever. <laughs> and it, it just lacks charm. I think the thing about Leland Stitch, it just had its 15th, 15th? Yeah, 15th uh, anniversary. And the thing I, I kind of picked up on that is reason people like Leland Stitch so much is one it's very relatable a lot of people relate to those characters because they're not perfect princess sort of story but also it has a lot of charm in that story there's something very charming about Stitch even though he's disgusting his relationship with Leo with Lilo Lilo's relationship with her sister it all has a very intimate feel that attraction has none of that there is none of that in Stitch's Great Escape and so it lacks heart yeah I agree with all of that. Well, it's set in the period of the movie before he's even. I mean, it's not set in the movie. I reckon it's 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 more or less set before the movie even takes place. So, yeah, all the heart that is developed is not even present in the story. Yeah, that's true. Put Lilo in that tube and have her jump all over your shoulders and spit on you and everything. <laughs> so much more charming. What would her burp smell like? Like fish? Like pineapple? Uh, like peanut butter and bananas. Oh, that's right, yeah. An Elvis sandwich. My number four is an... How not brown cow? My number four is an... Ooh, Lord help us. Extinct attractions. That's what my number four is. And so I'm going to put on my list lights, motors, action... Epic oh. stone spectacular garbage. <laughs> oh my You're Lord. mixing up a few attractions there. My mistake. Uh, um, this attraction, oh, it's, it's so terrible. And I am so glad it's gone. First off, it came to us from uh, the Hollywood Studios in Paris, which yeah. I believe is notorious for being the worst Disney park ever. Yeah, I've always thought that. Like, who thought... Hey, this park that everyone craps on that no one likes, let's bring an attraction from there to America. Yes. Yeah. Now, again. Congratulations. The concept, I think they had good intentions with because the idea of Hollywood Studios is it is a working studio. So we're going to bring you all different types and aspects of movie making. And part of movie making and, and a very large part is car chases and there's lots of movies that are <laughs> famous for their car chases a lot of famous car chase scenes so i understand the concept had good intentions it is just not executed well at all first off there is way too much downtime in between the action pieces yes and why that is i have no idea because if you're doing the same show six times a day for 10 years you should have it down by now. I mean, I don't mm. understand why you need 20 minutes to reset something for two minutes of action. Insert your own joke there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> another problem was the seating 
was horrendous. Who thought metal bleachers in the middle of the Florida sun was a good idea should be shot because it was not. And then they put these fans in that don't do anything. They, you're just stagnant, hot, Florida, humid air waiting for these stupid cars. Now, if you like cars and you like those kind of things, you may enjoy the show. I actually went with my brother and a couple of his friends and they enjoy cars. They actually enjoyed the show, but they agreed with me that there was way too much downtime in between acts. But the, the actual stunts, they were like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of fun, you know, and and that kind of thing. Overall, this show was just boring. It just lacked boring. And again, the repeatability was not there. It was the same show, the same jokes, the same terrible actors every single time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all that. And like a, a show called Lights, exclamation point, Motors, exclamation point, Action, exclamation point. You should not come away saying that was kind of boring, but I totally agree. I was always bored because it was like 75% talking, setting up the scene, 25%, maybe less, car chases and explosions. Uh, I do not miss that. No, nope. me either. And I think it goes back to what you said about the, the charm of Stitch. Hollywood Studios is filled with charm because it's filled with characters that you know and love, like the Indiana Jones stunt show. Part of you is going to like it just because you like Indiana Jones, but there's nothing to connect you to the story with Lights, Motors, Action, except, oh, I drive a car. <laughs> well, and, and even in Indiana Jones, I mean, the, the turnaround on those sets are amazing because you maybe have just a couple minutes where they're doing some ad-libbing or whatever and it's just enough that you're not like come on we got fast passes let's hurry this up lights motors action i mean i'm not kidding 10 20 minutes you're waiting for them to set up the next thing and then when they do it you're like why did that take so long to set up all they did was pull out a fruit stand and and that, that that took that long to set up a fruit stand i don't think we ever talked about this did you guys see reports of the last day of that where the doors that are supposed to open in the back of the set where the car drives through they weren't opening so the car just drove right through them because it's like it's the last day <laughs> okay yeah that's why? awesome now little, that i want to see yeah. that, little that micro would be microcosm of that attraction's history <laughs> well my favorite thing too was you know at the very end you got the 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 movie you saw all the things they'd filmed that day they put them together and you got the movie well if you were there sometimes the stunts didn't work like i was there and the guy slid and didn't catch on fire (laughs) like (laughs) that's that's a pretty pivotal part and then you're watching the movie and he's on fire and you're like wait a second it's amazing right (laughs) computer animated flames well that um my next one is a show also uh, and my number three is a show, which counts as an attraction in my book. Um, you do you can get a fast pass for it, for whatever reason you would do that for. It is Beauty and the Beast live on stage. <laughs> and where do I begin? This whole thing is so freaking awful. Um, I mean, from the beginning, and the two guys are out there dancing around with the sheet, and that's like <laughs> it sounds. That sounds like some sort of sexual poetry show or something. Well, that's what it kind of starts to look like. Like, what's going on here? These two guys out there, ballerina guys, they're out there dancing around with a big with a big tarp sheet thing that's supposed to be like the the scrim. And so the the, the lady comes out and they're you know they're shaking the sheet over. You know, it's the old lady shaking the sheet, and and then the beast comes out, and oh, every last bit of dramatic 
energy is immediately sucked out of the whole rest of the show when they <laughs> unveil the beast and it's like Barney the freaking dinosaur. <laughs> it's like Sweetums. Yeah, it's exactly right. The big underbite and the big pajama feet. Wait, 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 wait. If we... Hold on. (laughs) I just got a great idea. If we put in Sweetums into the Beauty and the Beast show, now that would be epic. (laughs) I would see that every night. That would be Absolutely. Belle! Belle! (laughs) Anybody seen Belle? (laughs) (laughs) No, I want to see the Muppets present Beauty and the Beast with, like, Miss Piggy as Belle (laughs) and Sweetums as the Beast. Yes. Oh, that'd be amazing. Well, like so it. after the first after the first song, which everything's abbreviated, uh, which I know you got to, but it makes the story just kind of stupid. Um, it's yeah. Like after they sing "Bell," it's like the cl- curtain closes and then it opens inside the castle. It's like, oh wait, why are we here? Inside the <laughs> castle, she meets some whatever interesting friends and it's like the life-size Lumiere not life-size <laughs> like the person-size Lumiere and they're <laughs> bouncing around it's like watching like it's like watching Disney on ice except not on ice and they're just like <laughs> stomping around um I don't know it it, it kind of doesn't get any worse than that until the, the Be Our Guest well that you know they start singing Be Our Guest immediately and I mean hello I know it's been like 26 years, literally, since this show started, um, but the costumes haven't changed. And so every the ladies during the Be Our Guest are still wearing like the hot pink, uh, like big tutus, and it's just over the top, gaudy and flashy and colorful. And even at the end, you know, when it's supposed to be the finale, they're singing Beauty and the Beast or whatever. Everyone's in those big gaudy, like neon ball gowns, dancing around and... That reminds me, somebody put on Twitter, and I thought this was a good question. Uh, I would credit whoever it was, but I don't remember. They said, during the Be Our Guest song, when Mrs. Potts is doing her solo in the kitchen, what is Belle seeing in the dining room? Yeah, I saw it too. They were like, are in the dining room, are they like resetting for the next scene? <laughs> the next scene? Yeah. yeah. Hey, what? Yeah. That's what they're doing. They're getting the bottles ready for the popping at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, My number three, also sort of a show, but it is on a screen. Thankfully, this attraction is no longer in Epcot. But my number three pick is Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Never liked that show. From the first time I saw it back in Disneyland in 2000, I was underwhelmed. Everybody was screaming the first time about something touching their legs. I didn't feel it. Mine wasn't working. And then when I finally experienced it at Disney World, it was like, oh, that was it. That was really stupid. It was the longest show. Like, why did it feel like it was 25 minutes long? I think it was only 13 or 14. Oh, my gosh. I did. I never loved that show. And it, and it felt like, I guess it kind of does what a, It's Tough to Be a Bug does, where instead of having... A story where you're sort of absorbed into the story and you're part of it. It was it was like you were the audience, obviously, honey, I shrink the audience. And they're yeah. just basically one by one lining up things that you know are coming. Like, oh, let's bring out the boy with his snake. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, I bet the snake's going to come out and bite us. And you just have to wait for the two or three minutes of talking before that finally happens. You know? Yeah. And then the next scene, oh, there's a dog. I know what's going to happen with this. And then you wait for it. 
And it was like, no, I, I want it to be like Philhar Magic where I'm part of it and I'm soaring on the carpet and stuff like that. And I was always bored by that show. Agreed. And now the difference though between a bug's it's tough to be a bug and this is it's tough to be a bug comes across as that vaudevillian sort of show where you know each act is coming out to do their own thing so that has like a natural feel to it i totally agree that this was the 1980s 3d effects were just starting to be you know honed and and, and all that this kind of thing the 80s honey i shrunk the audience it was 95 96 no really yeah Ooh. it was captain eo before that yeah it sure felt like the 80s wow yeah. okay well mid 90s it's really unforgivable, <laughs> but it's just like <laughs> it just gets worse. It reminds me of that Muppet Vision 3D joke where it's like we're gonna think of all our 3D tricks and throw them at them, you know, kind of a thing. So here comes the th- the snake at you, and ooh, here's something tickling your ankles. What is that? Mice? That's supposed to be or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> um, tickling your ankles. But it it it, it is like. I, I put this in the same category as what Walt said about musicals. Um, when he was doing Snow White. The songs should be part of the story. It should naturally lead into a song. And I think that's what you're saying with Philhar Magic. The effect should be natural to the overall story. It should not be stop the show and boom, here's a here's a trick. Or the whole show is built around the trick. It should just be a natural flowing part. And that's where Honey, I Shrunk the Audience fails. Right. Plus, it, right, it's just an, a boring overall story what is the story something about you're you're at a uh, award you're at the thing? little gala for honoring wayne Zelensky, which is already boring like who wants to go to a theme park and sit through an award ceremony well the yeah. same people that want to go and sit and watch pixar shorts <laughs> <laughs> no i would much rather watch those um yeah and you know it just wasn't good it lacks the charm again of honey i shrunk the kids uh which is a great film yeah and, there's none of that in Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Yep. Nope. Okay, my number three is an attraction that we've all poo-pooed on a lot, but it would not be a worst of list unless it was on there, and that is the Tomorrowland Speedway. Oh, Jeremy. Yeah. You went right for the gold on this one. That's my number one. I'm going to have to oh, pick okay. a different one now. Oh, yeah, okay. that's terrible. Oh, you go yeah. ahead. I'll let you hate first. <laughs> Well, I mean, we like I said, we've hated on this. First off, the amount of real estate that this attraction takes up is appalling, uh, particularly when you consider all the dreams and concepts and things that we want to see in the Magic Kingdom. And then this huge plot of land is taken up with basically really cheap go-karts. And they're not even fun go-karts because you're on a track. You have governors. It's it, 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 it's. This attraction is not even worthy of Six Flags. Now, I understand it's based off of a part of Walt's original concept for Disneyland, but you have to remember when Walt originally came up with the Autopia, there was no guardrails, and uh, yeah. people were just smacking into each other all over. And it's, <laughs> I would like that, actually, uh, now, but you can't do that anymore, unfortunately. I understand that there is a, a, a portion of the population that this appeals to, that there are children that enjoy this. That's great. You can go to your local Swing Around Fun Town and ride these same kind of uh, vehicles there at a much cheaper price, by the way. Uh, they're just loud. You can hear them. 
they're you know from the people mover and as you walk by they smell terrible you get that exhaust and they just don't fit the theme there's nothing futuristic about these cars at all if anything they belong in liberty square because it is america of a yesteryear uh-huh. You know what's? I, I kind of get tired of the whole argument where my my kids loves my kid loves this. At least it's something that kids can do. Because Disney has proven that they can build some incredible attractions that kids love and not rely on technology for, that was popular at 1950s fairs. You know, like yeah. th- this really bugs me. And also, it is a large plot of land. You know what's sad? I think that track has been trimmed down like three different times. Like it was trimmed when they built Space Mountain. Uh, I feel like maybe another time after that, and definitely when they moved Dumbo to make two Dumbos back there, they had to make it shorter even then. Imagine how much real estate this took up in 1972 or whatever. Ridiculous. Uh. And yeah, your argument, your kid likes it. Listen, your kid likes to sit in the backyard and eat dirt. That doesn't doesn't mean Disney should have an attraction where you eat dirt. Uh, and why why is it in Tomorrowland? Like you you argue that Monsters Inc. doesn't belong in Tomorrowland. We had a Walt Disney World Speedway for crying out loud. Move it over there, which is gone now. I realize, but this has no business being in Tomorrowland, and definitely no business right by Mad Tea Party. If, yeah. If they ever overhaul Tomorrowland and get rid of like Monsters Inc. Stitch and this, we should make a shirt with the Speedway car and Mike Wazowski and Stitch in the front seat driving off a cliff yeah Thelma and Louise style yep bye bye now yeah hopefully soon there are those rumors still that it might be going away soon for something Tron related I don't know this thing has been around for so long that I feel like it's never going away but it's possible fingers crossed it's possible (laughs) (laughs) Matt with the musical theater reference how about that (laughs) <laughs> oh, and talking about bad things. Never mind. That's a bad musical. Well, I had to do some reorienting because I had a lot of on the on the list. Believe it or not, I had a few. I had a few that were in honorable mentions that I'll, I'll shuffle up to make room for that. Because Tomorrowland Speedway was my number one for all the reasons that you have so adequately described. So next in line at number two is going to be the Circle of Life. Now, in all honesty. Oh, I totally forgot about this. I have not even seen this thing since probably 1995 or six. I don't know when it opened, but it was it was shortly thereafter. And um, just knowing that it's still there and the signage has not changed, it's very color faded. I mean, everything about this, like, oh, that's still there. Like, I just walked by it now. But every time I think about it, how bizarre is it that that thing is still there? And it has not changed in 20-something years. Now, this isn't, you know, it's not a stage, you know, production like Beauty and the Beast, which can not change in 20-something years. But, you know, you can watch it and it's not a screen. And, it, you know, the you can't pick out the, the things that make it look like a video from the 90s. But this you certainly can. And it's just... It's just one of those unbelievable things that is actually still there. All the things they've done and even renovated the entire land pavilion and all new attractions and updated this and that in the food court and Circle of Life is still there. In its original iteration, it's unfathomable. See, I like Circle of Life, but I like it in a hipstery sort of way. Like, I like it because people hate it. 
Oh, Jeremy. No, it's so bad. The only two things I will say good about it, the wall carpet in the waiting room, still fantastic, still... Wall carpet would exist with or without Circle of Life. That's true, <laughs> but it's so perfectly 80s Epcot, and I love it. Secondly, it's a nice theater. Like, they could do something cool in there. It's just, gosh, this show is so bad. And I watched it for the first time a couple years ago, and I'm going to give a shout-out to our friend Aaron because I was reading The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World, Epcot. In the dentist at the dentist's waiting room, and I was like almost laughing out loud reading this chapter because he made so many great points that I agreed with. He was talking about how this show is so condescending; <laughs> it acts like you stupid Americans, you're ruining our environment, and you're cutting down trees, blah blah. And Jeremy, you've talked about this before. The scene with the bust, or the bust, <laughs> the scene with the bust where there's so much exhaust that it completely covers up the two girls on their bikes and it plays like the dun-dun-dun dramatic music. <laughs> it's so stupid. And one of the things Aaron said in his book that made me laugh was he said, he was talking about how it's really condescending about how we, we cut down trees to make way for new buildings and skyscrapers and stuff. And in parentheses he said, conveniently, theme parks aren't mentioned at all. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's just so true. Resort hotels are... Uh, yeah, I think the same thing. I'm a I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan, you know, and uh, Jimmy Buffett he's big on like conservation and like um, restoring the Everglades and the Florida wetlands and stuff. Uh, consequently, just up the road, about 45 minutes, they're building a multi hundred acre Margaritaville resort <laughs> <laughs> that opens in a couple years. Yeah, that whole thing. Theme and story and political message aside, that has nothing to do with it for me, really. It's all just the 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 way it, it has not changed in, in literally 20 years. And it's well, let me defend the political message. Because first off, I don't think it's a political message. We've been told it's a political social, message. Social it's a message. social message. That Environmental it message. Yes. And I think the overall concept there is that you can use the resources, but you need to do it in a responsible way. And... Timon Disney's and Pumbaa wanted, wanted to build their resort, and they were not doing it in a responsible way because it was causing greater damage down the river. Um, so I think that's the overall message. It's not that human beings shouldn't do anything, but it's that we should do it in a responsible manner. And I think that's a that's a message that we all can agree with. I absolutely agree with all that. I just think the way they present it is not the best way. It's a it, it, Condescending is the best word. It is that's a little fantastic. It's it's, it's, it's a oversimplifying little... a complex issue. Yeah. Agreed. But you're you're having a an anamorphic uh, warthog and meerkat <laughs> presenting it. So we're not getting on a deep level here. <laughs> and you know what's funny? The first time I well, the only time I saw it, the damn joke caught me so caught me so off guard because I'm like, this show hasn't really been funny the whole time, and all of a sudden he's like Damn. <laughs> yeah. Like, to be clear, they're showing like the Hoover Dam or something. It's been a while. Yeah. But I was say, Derek, profanity. I'm offended. <laughs> it just it didn't land for me because I'm like, no, you haven't been making jokes this whole time, and now all of a sudden, anyway. I hope this show never goes away because this is the last little bit of Nathan Lane that we have left in the parks. Oh, you would. Did he really no, that's do not voice true. He's in, that? I imagine that's him. I bet he didn't. I stop it. I like I like to pretend. I it bet is. it was the guy that did it for like everything else. 
Speaking of iconic voice actors, my next Nathan one. Nathan yes. Yeah, yeah. My next attraction involves one. Uh, his name is Drew Carey. You may know him oh. from classic classic sitcoms like the Drew Carey Show. Uh, sounds dangerous over in Hollywood Studios. Might be the biggest waste of space. Nope, that's not true. It is a waste of space, and I will say what has replaced it might be a bigger waste of space. They literally show Star Wars clips for 10 minutes with no yes. narration at all. But anyway, sounds dangerous. Oh, it's another what were those what were they thinking moments where the the point of the attraction is that you're in pitch blackness. And what it was like cutting hair sounds, binaural audio. That I mean, just how they add sound effects to stuff and all this business. Oh my goodness! I I, I don't even really know if there's much to say other than what a waste of space. Well, yeah, I want to say I think it's atrocious that they have this beautiful theater in the middle of Hollywood Studios. Again, prime real estate, and they're putting garbage in there. I mean, this is garbage. This, insulting to the theme park concept that that you would just throw something like that in the middle of the heart of your park it's terrible and drew carey is is a decently funny person who is not necessarily obnoxious in the way that some of the people they like to showcase is obnoxious and you waste him on such an attraction it's it's offensive yeah, uh, I we were never able to experience it. Jeremy and I weren't, but the monster movie magic or whatever that was there before that did sort of the same thing, where it showed you how sound effects are made. But at least like you actually get to see it happen, and you're actually part of it. They bring people on stage. Like to me, that was so much more entertaining than just sitting in the darkness with headphones, which I can, which I do every night before I go to bed. I mean. <laughs> Just saying, <laughs> this attraction is a waste of money, a waste of space, a waste of time. Yeah, like you can go, you can go on YouTube and literally search uh, binaural audio and find entire attractions like this in the comfort of your own bathroom. <laughs> if you want to know what it's like to go to bed every night with Derek, then just come on over to Sounds Dangerous. <laughs> yes, I, I put on the loop of like hair getting buzzed off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want that on the poster. Like, experience here what you can experience in your own bedroom. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right tagline, but that's awesome. I wonder how many babies were conceived in that theater because you know, in the middle of the dark, it's there's some hanky panky, and nothing nothing gets me going like Drew Carey voiceovers. That's for sure. Yep. All right, my number two uh, is a show that I've never actually seen except I watched a clip on YouTube just to confirm that this should be number two on my list. And that is Flights of Wonder over at Animal Kingdom. I've seen it. (laughs) The fact that Derek has seen this uh, and I haven't is astonishing considering his hatred and fear of flying things. Uh, But Flights of Wonder, outdated. They still make the Fraser Crane joke and that show's been off the air since... You know, they didn't. Jesse Grammer's first marriage, that thing was off the air and he's on number three now, I think. So They didn't uh, make that joke. Yeah, I don't remember. I, they didn't. Oh, I was didn't. waiting on it the whole time. They're, they finally realized he's off the air now. So I think you're right, yeah. But it, it, it was there for a good, solid you know, 15 years, 10 years. <laughs> you know what? It suffers from the lights, motors, action problem. Way too much talking. 
and not enough mm. birds actually doing something. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. And that's the thing. People like animals. So I don't understand how you can make a show with animals, real life animals, by the way. Uh boring that's sad to me because people like that kind of thing you look at somebody like a crocodile hunter or or the tonight show where they used to have the animals on all the time there's endless possibilities of fun and humor and excitement and bringing out animals and there's some pretty wicked looking birds out there that will get the audience going i mean they're not bringing out pigeons and parakeets you bring out some vultures you know some eagles something like that there's definitely potential there but you're right way too much downtime in between and and you're focusing too heavily on the uh education aspect when that just needs to blend seamlessly into the entertainment aspect i agree i felt like if i put that on my list you guys would accuse me of being biased (laughs) so i'm glad it's on your list yeah and maybe they just need to revamp this show to feature other animals besides birds you know maybe they (gasps) need to bring out banshees Well, I mean, it's it's right there in between Asia and walking towards Africa. What is that even? Is it considered Asia yeah. that it's in? Yeah, for sure. There's lots of Asian animals that you could bring. You could bring out a Komodo dragon that people like that. You could bring out uh, a panda bear. People like panda bears. That that sounds safe. <laughs> as safe as a eagles with ten inch talons flying over your Pandas head. Pandas are harmless. So, we're to number one. Aren't you curious to know what my number one is? It's another one I feel like y'all are going to disagree with. Um, It comes from my most hated place in all of Walt Disney World. Okay, I know what it is. I can't even look at it. But, coincidentally, I can hear it all over the entire Blasted Park. And it's from Chester and Hester's Dino-Rama. And it is the primeval world let's just suck out a county fair wild mouse roller coaster and stick it in the middle of walt disney world now i know that joe roadie would say well that's the theme it's a county roadside fair and i would say joe roadie if i wanted to go to a county roadside fair i'd go to a county roadside fair i don't want to experience that at walt disney world thank you very much i don't care how accurate it is the one in my local county is accurate um, and authentic. Uh, so I just this ride, it's loud, obnoxious, poorly done, poorly thought through. The exit is two miles long. Um, by the time you get to the spinning, like half the ride is done, and that doesn't add that much for me, honestly. I mean, I could go on and on, but then I'm just trying. I'm more than I'm more more getting into why I hate Chester and Hester's Dino-Rama than, than that specific attraction. But I think it's a, it's an eyesore, along with the rest of that blasted place. It seems to be always a long line, like 25 minutes or more for, for, for that. I'm like, guys, yeah, just get out. It's not worth this. It's not worth it. It's on the... Uh, I don't know. Matt's like yelling from the cracks on the street. Don't do it! Don't not do it. it. It's not worth your time. Um... I think like 90% of my hatred for that attraction comes from my hatred for the land. And we've rehearsed that many times here before. Mini land, whatever. Sub land. So I won't go any further. Just no primeval world. Uh, it was number two 
on my list, but I had to shuffle some things. But it, it, it can easily fit into number one most hated attraction or worst attraction ever. It's not on my top five, but I don't blame you for feeling that way. I think that's legitimate for your number one. And it does kind of bother me that over from Asia, you can hear the of the ascent. All over, all the way over to Expedition Everest. And it's not the chain lift I hear. It's just that sound effect that's playing that little, that kind of scientific, that kind of don't, 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 don't popcorn kind of sound. Huh. No, I'm thinking of the uh, the lift hill. Maybe it is the chain. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it is the chain. But yeah, it's it's loud. Hmm. Uh, my number one has been mentioned, but I didn't want to take it from number one because it really is my least favorite attraction there. Or, or maybe not least favorite to experience, but, but definitely the worst, in my opinion, at Walt Disney World. It's the Speedway in Tomorrowland for all the reasons we've already said. Get rid of that thing. It has no place being in my favorite park at Walt Disney World. Agreed. And my number one has not been mentioned. And this may be a little controversial as well, but I can honestly say that I've never ridden an attraction and been more let down than riding this one. And that is Astro Orbiter in Tomorrowland. No. Yes. Oh. Yes. And I'll tell you why. First off, there's always a line for it that's pretty decently long. Uh, welcome to Walt Disney World. But it's a spinner. Minutes. Yeah. Okay. It's a spinner. It's uh, you, you, So you're waiting in a pretty long line because it takes forever to load and offload it. Then you get in this elevator. You go up there and you get into your little ride vehicle. Rocket. Rocket. Thank you. <laughs> All those technical terms and uh you're in your rocket and you go and it is a nice view for 15 seconds it is the shortest experience at walt disney world that i have ever had and waiting 45 minutes for that was the biggest letdown you barely clear the ground and all of a sudden it's like taking you back down and you're like (laughs) what the heck yes i hate Astro Orbiter because of that. I don't know why. I've only done it once. It was a terrible experience, and I do not get the hype. I think it's overrated. At least with Magic Carpet Rides, as terrible as that attraction is as well, at least you get a good ride on it. You're going to be on there for a couple minutes. Same with Triceratops Spin, Dumbo, all the spinners. Why this one lasts for 20 seconds and you're done astonishes me and why people wait so long for it is is atrocious i've only ridden it once i don't remember it being any shorter than the times i've ridden dumbo or triceratops spin uh maybe i have a bad memory or maybe you just got some cast member who was over it (laughs) was like let's get this over with i want to leave i don't know um, I actually do like seeing it from a nice height. We rode it at night while the Main Street Electrical Parade was going on. So it was kind of cool trying to pick out the different floats. Um, man, number one worst attraction. I really do. I'm, and I stand by that. I'm not being drama. I, I stand I, by it. I wrote it. Drama. And when we got off of it, I literally said I will never ride this again because that was the biggest waste of time. If I'm going to ride a spinner, there's much better spinners to ride than Astro Orbiter. Now, I do have an idea for fixing this attraction because 
I just don't like to put negativity out in the world. I like to solve problems. I'm a problem solver. So mm. I think what they need to do is bring the swing concept that is found at the Silly Swings in DCA. Now, can you imagine being on swings and it's a small platform up there, so you're swinging actually over the edge of oh, Tomorrowland? Lord. That would be cool. I love that idea so much. Oh my word, yeah, I love the Silly Symphony Swings. And to do it on the second story up there, oh, that would be sweet. Yes, and so so then as you're swinging, you're going out over the ledge so you can look down and it's quite a bit of a drop down as well as you're getting that beautiful view of, of Tomorrowland and the Magic Kingdom and the castle. And you know, you can, you can still theme it somehow to space. You don't necessarily need a rocket. You know, you can still have the planet looking thing in the middle. I think it'd be cool. Mm. I'd still prefer Astro Orbiter, but I, I, I like the direction you're going. Yeah. But there you go. Those are our list, our top five worst attractions ever. Listeners, if you have some that we failed to mention, or if you want to argue for an attraction that we did mention, feel free to send those emails to comments at madchatters.net or reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at madchatters or on Facebook. We'll see you next week. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. Bye-bye now. <laughs>